0: Welcome to Radar Contact, the air traffic management podcast by Fox ATM. Welcome to one more episode of, of Radar Contact. Today we will talk about newcomers to the ANSP market, private ANSPs that are not state structures. And my guest is Marek Beckier, who is Senior VP for Europarts ACR. Marek, welcome to this episode. Thank you, Vincent. It's nice to be here. So before we start, uh, can you just introduce yourself and the company rapidly, please?
1: Yes, I've been uh, in the industry for now. Almost 25 years now. I started as an air traffic controller back in 93 for Skyguide in Switzerland. I'm a Swiss citizen and uh, currently live in Norway. Work for a Swedish company, but we'll come to that. I had different roles at Skyguide, particularly following the Überling and Midair collision, when there was a lot of organizational changes. I had different roles. I was ATM manager. I was responsible for the operations at the Zurich Tower and approach. And and then until 2010, before I left, I was managing the the entire ATM uh, based in Zurich. Now I'm with ACR in Sweden. What is ACR? ACR is is an ANSP. um, uh, We have exactly the same certificate, the Single European Sky Certificate, issued by the Swedish CAA as uh, all the other European ANSPs. And uh, we're currently operating 17 airports here in in Sweden, and uh, it'll be 18 from January onwards.
0: Okay, thank you for that that brief intro. So the key point here is ACR is an ANSP that is relatively new to the market compared to, to older organizations like Skyguide, DFS, DSNA. And you are coming from a private structure. You have never been state-owned. I mean, some ANSPs are not private like, like Skyguide or DFS, but they are owned by their states. But you are coming from a shorter history, totally private. So what are for you the main differences between you or ACR and let's say a legacy ANSP?
1: Well... If you if you think about it, from an, a legacy ANSP often looks at the ANS market as one market. This is something they grew up with. They are coming from a monopoly environment and they're, they're serving all the needs of the market. However, there is a view that we have, and I think it's increasingly shared by the European Commission, that in reality the ANS market is a patchwork of different markets. It is, you have a terminal ANS market, you have an end route market, you have a CNS market, you have a training market. The typical legacy ANSP with its vertical integration does everything in-house. They do all the, they serve all the markets from one company, and this normally comes with a, I would say, rather robust and and large organizational structure to serve all that needs, whereas the private sector more and more is looking towards single niches of these markets. So we are particularly focused on the terminal ANS market, and while other companies are looking at the digital tower market. So uh, I think this is the main distinction of um, uh, why why we can have a much uh, more tailored uh, organizational structure, because we don't do everything.
0: That's an interesting point, because when you look at the cost structure of a legacy ANSP, training is, is a significant part of that. I mean, it takes years to train ab air traffic controllers. You need instructors, you need simulators, you need a lot of investment to do the training. And coming, as you said, on specific segments on the market, that changes the rules a bit. So how is ACR dealing with training? Do you have your own complete training structure? Or is it something that you completely do outside of the company to reduce your own costs?
1: Training is a very good example. Um, We at ACR, we promote more market mechanisms across all the segments of the ANS industry. And therefore we are obviously uh, quite content to acknowledge the commercial character of the um, ANS training segment. Um, From a provider perspective, um, aside from the strictly regulatory requirements, there are a few elements that you need to have covered or need to acknowledge when you look at ATC training. Um, one element is of course the costs. The other element is the availability, um, flexibility that that uh, you will have. Um, some, you know, training needs are, as a rule, plannable, but sometimes uh, they arise unexpectedly, and you will need access to a certain training infrastructure at moments when you didn't expect it to, to need it. And finally, uh, the quality of the output. You know how how well are all the training goals achieved. So these elements are um, as well quite important. Now, throughout the years, we have worked with many um, uh, great organizations and training organizations across Europe. There's Entry Point Norse. We have worked with Sky Guide. We have worked with ANS Finland. And through all these experiences with these good organizations, we have been able to um, see and detect some best practices in training. And uh, this has led us now to a to a new um, training model that uh, we have just um, started this year actually. And this model works the following way. ACR um, is the owner of a training academy. That means we own the, the uh, training infrastructure. We own the simulators, the airport models we provide with instructors. But the training center itself, the training academy itself is operated by GATE. GATE is a commercial um, uh, certified ATC training provider based in Copenhagen. And um, so what's the benefit of this model? From an ACR perspective, the benefit is we don't need to add to our organizational structure. We we can remain as lean as possible. We have access whenever we need it. And uh, we can make sure that our training needs are perfectly matched. Now, what's in FORGATE? FORGATE, of course, this is an interesting commercial um, agreement with us, because in those times when we are not um, utilizing the training center, they have the freedom and the ability to actually utilize that infrastructure with other commercial clients. And to conclude this, in my view, this is just another example of of what happens in in a commercial market. You will see the rise of new business models. You will see the rise of new corporation models. And um, I think that's a very good example.
0: So you do Abinitio training, if I understand correctly. But I guess for companies like you, finding on the market controllers from somewhere else that are already trained is probably worth a lot of, of savings and a lot of gold for you.
1: Yes, we do Abinitio courses. And as a matter of fact, we've just finished... The recruitment of a bunch of Etco uh, trainees that will start and have an initial course in a few weeks' time in our training academy in uh, Head. Something you're very excited about and look forward to. When ACR is adding new airports to its portfolio, it's normally doing that by winning competitive tender processes. And over the years, we have observed that, on average, a rate of ninety percent of Etcos uh, is transferring over to us. So 9 out of 10 controllers change from the incumbent to ACR. Uh, This is a number that makes us, of course, very happy and shows as well the competitiveness of the packages that we offer the controllers. When this is said, I would like to expand on this just for a second, if you allow. Um, The ACR vision is to be the leading and largest um, terminal ANS provider in Europe. So we have the goal... To actually operate towers in all countries in Europe, if possible. And from an ETCO perspective, what we see is the opportunity, uh, we want to give the controls the opportunity to work in different countries throughout their career. If somebody wants to work a few years in Sweden and then uh, work in Switzerland, or um, if somebody wants to try out living in Italy, if possible, and then go move to Holland. These are models that um, uh, we're working towards and we hope to achieve them because we believe that um, for the ETCO, particularly for ETCOs on the regional towers, um, it would be very attractive or it will be very attractive to um, provide them with more possibilities of personal development.
0: You use the term terminal ANSP quite a lot of times already and I find it interesting because historically ANSPs were doing everything. Now we have companies, for example, like Arian, that is an ADSP, so it's the technical part of an NSP certified for CNS. So what is your market exactly? When you say terminal ANSP, are we talking tower and approach or tower only? And what is uh, ACR's portfolio?
1: Yes, terminal ANS includes tower services and uh, approach services. Why are we focusing on that market? Because a N S environment in Europe is still highly characterized by a monopoly character. Legacy A N S P serving the market on the, based on the national boundaries. And if you want to enter this market, there is a uh, uh, very often frictions on the one side with the military um, side of things, and on the other side with the, the end route segment, which is very much considered a sovereign uh, uh, issue for many um, governments in many countries. So to avoid that discussion, to offer services on, on the regional, on smaller airports, we term it terminal ANS, you avoid that um, sovereignty discussion because there is no sovereignty issue on the regional airports, and there's, there's hardly any interfaces with with military elements and uh, airspace management uh, issues on on that segment. This is why we're focusing on on these areas because we can.
0: I guess working with. Smaller airports exclusively has some particularities. How has been your experience so far with regional airports?
1: I think the regional airport segment is one of the most undervalued segments of the European aviation landscape. I looked at the numbers from ACI and and there you see that on a global scale, 95% or 97% it is, all the airports below 1 million passengers are loss-making. And that number um, decreases with the increase of passengers. So um, we see a, a crystal clear and strong correlation between the size of an airport and its ability to operate profitably in order to 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 help that segment uh, i think everything is required and and ans costs for these of the smaller airports can be up to 50% of the entire cost uh, of the entire annual cost. So a cost reduction by 20 or 30 percent while maintaining um, se- service levels uh, can be a game changer for, for, for these airports. And then you think about Europe where you have between five and 600 regional airports. This is a huge market. And let's, let's be honest. Legacy ANSPs, the, the big ones, the NETs, the DFSs, the Skyguides, their service portfolio is normally not a very good match for the needs of a regional airport because they have organizational structures, they have decision-making uh, processes, procurement processes, which, which not necessarily are optimal to serve the needs of the regional segment.
0: That's an interesting point on opening this market is probably, well, a change for legacy ANSPs. And as you said, they are not used to competition. And that, that market opening was certainly a surprise to them. What is your experience with the market reaction, the reaction of legacy NSPs, but also the reaction of regulators to private ANSPs, new structures coming in?
1: Interesting question. We have seen everything, <laughs> I would say. First of all, the, the pressure to open up the market, the pressure for more uh, liberalization of this segment must come from the airports. We and and other private providers do not have the, the muscle or the strength to actually push the market and to, for opening. This must come from the customers. The airports, they must see, yes, we need, we want the change. We want more customer focus. We want the more uh, tailored uh, service portfolio. Now, how do how do the how does the market react? Airports are very happy. We just have a, had a um, customer survey from our seventeen airports, which was excellent, despite the um, uh, the COVID times. They were very happy in in all aspects. So something we we're actually pretty proud of. Regulators, usually, we do not have any problems with the with the regulators. The regulatory framework is crystal clear. You know, you comply with all the requirements that uh, allows you to make the single European sky uh, certificate. And in principle, this this certificate has to be accepted by all the member states. Of course, the national CAAs can, can, can review the application and can review data and can uh, cross check with the issuing CAA. So there, we what we see sometimes is a bit of concern of an increased workload from the CAA level, uh, because they're only used to deal with one names piece, and now they have two. An argument, which I find a bit flat, as um, uh, in the UK, for example, you have 62 or 65 um, organizations that are providing ANS one form or another, and and the UKCAA can deal with that. Now, the relationship and the reaction of the incumbent ANSPs, that's a that's a delicate one. To be very honest, what on the personal level, we from ACR, we get along very well with, with everyone in the industry, including our competitors. And uh, that has never been an issue. When this is said, we have encountered that on a theoretical level. ANSPs embrace the concept of more markets. They embrace the concept of competition. They like the idea of having be, being a bit more commercial until it concerns them and their home markets. Then then we see a, a change in attitudes. And very often, I wouldn't say uh, market entry barriers are erected, but let's put it this way, we don't very often see a thrust and a drive of these ANSPs. To remove uh, market entry barriers. And that's is somehow understandable because it's very comfortable to be a monopoly. It's very comfortable to live in a cost recovery regime and not be um, uh, accountable to customers the same way as you are in the private sector. So I understand that. And I think they understand us, but it's delicate relationship.
0: Yeah, I can imagine that. Uh, I remember some reactions at at DFS when Austrocontrol Control won some of the regional airports in in Germany, and as well when DFS subsidiary uh, ANS won uh, the contract in Gatwick. So now, as you said, you have good relationship with everybody and that's a market that is very professional. So I cannot really imagine someone trying to make your life harder. But how is the, the transition happening and looking like? Because in the end, By the end of a month, you have staff and equipment that is used to operate ANS at an airport that belongs to one company. And the next day, basically, you take over. It's a lot of transition, I imagine. But are you taking over staff, equipment, both or none? Or do you come with your own controllers? Do you replace the equipment at the same time? Or is it a case-by-case process?
1: Yes, just upfront, the transition period um, is the most critical period of the entire takeover and of a tender process, so from a transition from one provider to another. In principle, a transition from one certified provider to another certified provider is a straightforward process and not overly complicated. We at ACR, uh, we have done a total of 17 transitions, which makes us probably the um, ANSP in Europe with the most transition experience. Um, What can make a transition challenging is that it poses uncharted territory for both the incumbent ANSP and the CAA. Let me elaborate on this one. During a transition process, issues encountered are often connected to um, IP rights and the CNS infrastructure why is that when you provide ans at an airport you not only need controllers but you need training plans uh, unit manuals you need procedures you need risk registers and obviously a cns infrastructure to to allow you to provide the service Uh, in our view and in an ideal world all of these elements are owned by the airport and given to the ansp for the duration of the contract length And when the airport decides to change provider, all of these elements go over to the next provider. Now there are ANSPs that argue, no, this is actually not working like that because this is our intellectual property. Uh, We invested in developing the unit manuals, uh, the procedures and so forth. That is certainly true. However, it, it blends out that they were paid by the airport to provide a service. And in our view, this is part of the service to provide ANS. So, therefore, it should belong to the airport. And um, in cases where we do not find agreement with the incumbent ANSP, then we have to turn towards the CAA, who has to act as some kind of refereeing body. And um, uh, we have seen over the years now that uh, the CAAs actually often tend to share the view that we're having that these documents and these deliverables are actually um ownership of the airport rather than of the incumbent ansp
0: yeah that's quite a change actually i can think of all the infrastructures or navades even radar systems i mean some are related to to both center and approach so i can imagine it will be an interesting transition every time and i guess the uk is probably a bit different than the rest of europe in in that perspective you mentioned before the number of ansps they have are you looking at that market as well from acr perspective
1: well we're looking at all the markets obviously um the uk market is is of course very interesting it's a huge market it's an interesting market but of course it's a competitive market so the low hanging fruits have already been plucked up what i find very telling in the in the in the uk example is very often we are confronted with the argument oh no it's too complex to, to transfer one airport to another provider because of airspace interaction issues and interfaces and so on. And we usually say, no, we, we don't believe so. And now you look at the London London TMA, which is probably the busiest airspace in Europe. And Gatwick has now changed the provider from, from NETS to, um, over to ANS, and it's, it's going back to NETS in October 22. So it is possible to change provider even in the busiest airspaces And if it's possible in Catwick and the London TMA, it's definitely possible in in, in other parts of Europe as well.
0: Very interesting. Thank you for for your perspective. To close up, uh, we have that usual question we ask every guest. Where do you see ATM and and in your case, specifically private ANS in five years from now, but also to open the door to speculation and to fantasies in 50 years from now?
1: My personal view is in five years, I don't think there's going to be a lot of changes. I think within the next five years, the industry will be focused on the recovery from the COVID crisis. I think we will see an increased appetite for um, scalability, an increased appetite for more cost efficiency, because the market is not where it used to be. When you have a continuous annual growth of between 2 and 3%, you have a different framework to operate in. I don't think we'll, we'll be there within the next five years. So I see interesting opportunities for, for us, for other niche providers. If the aeronautical data services commercialization goes on and will take place, I think we will see even more a, a trend towards a split up or a, an unbundling of the vertical integration of some Sommet piece. In the long run, over 50 years, I believe on, a, on an overall level, there is going to be significantly more focus and on, on sustainability and zero emission throughout the, all, the, all the segments of the entire industry. I think this will not be comparable to our situation today. I think from an organizational perspective, you'll see probably a split up into a regulated business area, which includes national sovereign services. This can be upper airspace, en route, which is probably still a national monopoly. You will see infrastructure services, which will be done on the national level. And you will have a commercial market, which is hopefully terminal ANS, which is CNS, which is aeronautical data, which is weather data, where you have much more competitors that bring in innovation, creative business models, cooperation models into into this currently somewhat hard-grown structure as it is today. From a technology perspective, in 50 years, we will have to see uh, clearly into the jump from higher automation levels into autonomy on both sides, on the ATM side and then on the airborne side. And where this will lead, we'll have to see. I mean, all the all the changes they will have to happen, but they can only happen within the within the frame of a regulatory and societal framework. And, and this one has to develop as well. Technology cannot run away. It will it will have to adjust to the pace of the changes of the society and the regulatory framework.
0: That's a very interesting perspective. Very interesting to see that sovereign parts like N root control probably will still remain a monopoly in your views. And I I totally agree on that because of the military links and and all of that. Marek, thank you very much for your insights and for your view from the private NSP and terminal NSP side. Very interesting to have you as a guest. Thank you very much.
1: Thanks very much for being here.
0: Take care. This was Radar Contact. Visit foxatm.com or your favorite podcast platform for more.